happen. Violence increases. There we go. Politics divides. Families disintegrate. Friendships fail. The list could go on and on. You know, when an athlete is in a long-distance race, he presses on and on, even though his legs begin to turn to rubber, his breathing becomes, becomes ragged, and he experiences real physical pain. But a good athlete keeps on going nevertheless. And when he finishes, we say, what a great heart that guy has, or that lady. He's got the morale, he's got the stamina, he's got the, what it takes to stay with it. But when we lose heart, when you lose heart, you lose stamina or you lose morale, you come to that place where you say, you know, what's the use? Why keep on going? I simply can't make it. And we sometimes tend to give up. Well, that's what Paul is saying in this passage that we're going to look at today that was already read this morning by Don. Paul says, even though it seems as though things may be tough, there are some wonderful gifts that God has given us that should encourage us. This passage we're looking at is Paul's second major prayer in this passage in the, in the book of Ephesians. And he starts the thought out by this chapter actually in verse one, he starts with the phrase, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles. But then suddenly Paul breaks off in a sort of a tangent, a whole nother train of thought in verses two through 13. He talks about the fact that this mystery has been revealed to him that God not only is here to save the Jewish people, but all people, including you and I. Verses 2 through 13, Paul carries on this thought. But then we come to Ephesians, especially verses 14 to 21. And again, Paul uses that same phrase. He says, for this reason, same phrase he used in verse 1. So what is that reason he's talking about? Well, you have to go back right into chapter 2, where Paul has been explaining the fact that because of Jesus Christ coming to this earth, living a perfect life, dying an unjust death, rising again. Because of that, he has made a way for us to have peace with God and peace with each other. The walls through Jesus, the walls of hostility have been broken down. This whole theme that Paul's talking about is the theme of reconciliation. Through Jesus, we are brought back into a state of harmony with God and with others. Paul has just finished pointing out that because of Jesus Christ, because he died for our sins, there are no longer aliens, foreigners, and outsiders and insiders in God's kingdom. He says in chapter two of verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners or aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Paul ended off chapter two with a vivid painting of the church. The people of God who are being built together, and I love the, how many times the word together you'll find throughout Ephesians. And I noticed that's sort of a theme that you are working through as a church, the togetherness that we can have with God 
and with each other. They are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You know, as you look around or as you turn on the TV or read the paper, you can see that this world is a disintegrating place. We see a pandemic that's altered almost every aspect of our lives. We see division within our country as our politicians sometimes let us down. We see huge division to our neighbors to the south as their election approaches. We see strife between husbands and wives, between parents and children, between youth and youth. Our TVs remind us of the clashes between nations and various religious groups. Even within our own lives, you and I are aware of the temptations that seem to come back and back and trip us up over and over. In this letter, Paul is telling us that God desires that through Jesus Christ, all this discord, all this disharmony can be brought under his peaceful and perfect control. You know, there is no way in the world that we will see peace and discord cease apart from people finding Jesus. And it's towards this end that Paul prays this prayer in Ephesians. So this morning I want to look with you specifically at some of the gifts that God gives to his people that should encourage our hearts. First of all, we have the gift of a listening ear from the Father. Verse 14 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven on earth derives its name. Paul has just finished telling his readers that because of Jesus, we, you and I, can now approach God with freedom and confidence and that he actually listens when we pray. Paul acts on his own words and addresses this bold prayer to God, his Father. Notice that even though we have free access to God and we can now approach him with confidence, the Bible says that repeatedly, Paul still shows a huge level of respect as he says, I kneel before the Father. You know, the ordinary posture for the Jews in that day was to stand while they prayed with their arms out, stretched their palms upward when they addressed God. Paul's respect for God and love for these people is so intense that in this passage he's brought to his knees as he addresses Almighty God. You know, God is much more concerned about the posture of our hearts than he is about our physical position. But Paul in this passage clearly shows his respect for God as he kneels. I've often, as I've spoken to you, shared stories of my father and my mother. One of the things growing up as a kid, well, probably through my junior high years, I'd go upstairs in the morning, usually two minutes before school started, but often I'd find my mom and my dad on their knees in front of the fireplace praying. And often I would hear my name in those prayers and I had to exit to school real quick because I got kind of convicted. Someone has vividly expressed this humorous little poem and it reads as follows. 
The, popo, the proper way for men to pray, said Deacon Lemel Keys, the only proper attitude is down upon his knees. Now, I should say the way to pray, said Reverend Dr. Wise, is standing straight with outstretched arms and rapt and upturned eyes. No, 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 said Elder Snow. Such posture is way too proud. A man should pray with eyes fast clasped and head contritely bowed. It seems to me his hand should be astrally clasped in front with both thumbs pointing down, said Dr. Reverend Hunt. Finally, a less learned man spoke of his experience. Last year, I fell in Hodgkin's well head first, said Cecil Brown. With both my heels a sticking up and my head a pointing down, I done prayed right then and there the best prayer I ever prayed. The prayest prayer I ever prayed a standing on my head. Again, I know I've shared with you how my father helped me have a good impression of a loving Heavenly Father. I know some people that I talk to about fathers, they look to their own earthly father and it wasn't that good of a relationship. And I thank God that for me, seeing God as a loving Heavenly Father was very, very easy to comprehend because I saw it in my own dad. Notice in the next few words in verse 15, Paul says, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The NIV translation includes that this can be translated from whom all fatherhood in heaven. True fatherhood actually originates in God. God himself is the fountain of all fatherhood and fatherliness. All other fatherhood ultimately should be a reflection of the fatherhood you and I have experienced from God. One of the central beliefs of our Christian faith is that we can approach God as a father, not as a distant force, but as a father. You and I today have the incredible privilege of addressing Almighty God as dad or father. This is not just a title we throw in because we see hear other people say it or even because Jesus said to address him that father that way. But because of the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we have actually been brought into a father-son, father-daughter relationship with God himself. Friends, your father listens to you. He actually listens. He is intent on seeing you grow, and he delights in delighting you with his goodness. When it comes to conversing with God, you have the most perfect and best father waiting to listen and to respond to your prayers. Paul wants us to remember that when we are despairing about our spiritual lives or about the, someone else's spiritual life, when we're feeling maybe cold or a little lethargic, when we're about to lose heart, we may feel like giving up and saying it's time to quit. Then that is the time to turn to Father God. He is our Father. In fact, he is the very quintessence of fatherhood. That first gift is you and I as believers have a Father who loves to listen to us. Secondly, we're given the gift of strengthening from the Holy Spirit. Strengthening in power from the Holy Spirit. 
In verse 16, Paul gives his request. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit in your inner being. What is your inner being? The inner being of a person is that part that involves the will, the intellect, and the reason. Paul is simply asking the Father that these Christians would be made strong inwardly by the Holy Spirit in their lives. You know, within ourselves, you and I simply are not, do not have the resources or the strength to live a life that pleases God. We simply do not have those resources. Even Paul, who himself was a religious fanatic formerly, found that in himself was really no good thing. In fact, just back in verse 8 of this chapter, he says, I am less than the least of all of God's people. Friends, without the Father granting us the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I cannot respond to God in a way that is effective. Again, all of us understand that in this world, we do struggle. Relationally, financially, physically, mental disorders, all of these are reality that we should not deny. From my own perspective, I daily uh, deal with the challenge of having myotonic muscular dystrophy. It's not a pain issue, but it does affect my joints and my uh, sustained weakening of the muscles. In fact, fine motor movements like doing hot buttons, it's a challenge. Thankfully, I have a wife that can help dress me. But, but it's a daily something a daily I struggle with. I have asked God m numerous times in faith that he would heal me, but he has chosen not to. He has instead, while I don't know the reasons for it, and I may never know, I have found that even in the struggles, God is still there. Even though our outward circumstances, and I don't know your story, but you do, even though those outward circumstances can be extremely trying, God still promises his presence. Even though I walk through the valley, you are still with me. Paul writing this letter is sitting in prison. I mean, if anyone could think he got a raw deal, it's Paul. He is well acquainted with life not seeming to be fair, but even in that situation of God not answering his prayer too, he asked God to relieve him of whatever ailment he had God said, well, his, here's what Paul said. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, the, this ailment. But God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I find it so interesting that often God uses the platform of weakness or pain to display his greatest power. Over and over in the Bible, when Jesus healed somebody, he used a situation of pain to reveal his power and his glory. Paul says, we have the gift of a loving, listening Father. We have the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Thirdly, we have the gift of actually the indwelling presence of Christ himself. Paul says in verse 13, or verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
In his booklet, My Heart, Christ's Home, Robert Munger pictures the Christian life as a house through which Jesus goes room to room in this house. In the library, which is the mind, Jesus finds trash and all sorts of worthless things, which he proceeds to throw out and replace with his word. In the dining room, which is our appetite, he finds many sinful desires listed on the worldly menu, and he takes that menu and takes off things like prestige, materialism, and lust. Instead, he puts on the menu things like humility, meekness, kindness, love. He goes through the workshop, but he only finds toys that are being made. In the closet where hidden sins are kept, again, he cleans out and he goes, keeps on going room to room to room until the entire house has been cleaned. And it's only then that Jesus sits down and settles down in that home in comfort. It's true that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer. Every single one of you that have placed your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit resides within you. But it is another thing to be so filled with him that he becomes the source of each desire and deed so that our heart produces the fruit of his presence. While every child of God has the Holy Spirit, the Spirit does not necessarily possess all the children of God. It's only by giving him control, letting him take the wheel, will we be able to walk in close fellowship with Jesus. And letting him take the, take the wheel involves responding to his desires moment by moment as we walk through life. George Duncan once went to visit some friends in the English countryside. For years, this family had lived in an old-fashioned, run-down house. To Duncan's surprise, when visiting, he discovered that the house had been completely remodeled. The people had installed new lights, a new electric stove, and all the other new pieces of equipment. But he is even more surprised to find the lady of the house still cooking on a kerosene stove and lighting her oil lamps for lighting. After this lady greeted him at the door, she smiled as he looked so confused. And she said, don't be confused, George. We have had a great change here, but we just haven't turned the power on yet. Let me ask you this morning, is the power turned on? Are you experiencing the power of God in your life on a daily basis? The evidence of God's power will be that Christ will dwell in your hearts through faith. As Paul talks about Christ dwelling in our hearts, he's not referring to Christ stopping in for a visit or just a cup of tea, but rather the word he uses here for dwell actually means to take up permanent residence. It actually means to move in. Through faith, Jesus wants to move into your heart. Verse 17, second part, Paul says, I pray that you being rooted and grounded and established in love. I mean, that's just such a short phrase, but so much is packed into that. I pray that you being rooted and established in love. What is the picture Paul is giving us here? Well, it's a picture of a tree 
that's given. And Paul prays that as the Father solidly plants us in the soil of his love, he will enable us to grow and sink our roots down in our love for him and our love for each other. Verse 18 says, May you have power together, again that word, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ. Here again, Paul asks the Father to provide us with his power so that we can grasp or lay hold of or comprehend the scope of God's love. Again, together with all the saints, no one of us here will be able to take in and comprehend the vastness of God's love. In fact, Paul says it's unknowable. But within the assembly of believers, each one can experience and comprehend some of his love, and together we can explore deeper its vastness. Billy Graham states, the cross of Jesus Christ has four dimensions. Its breadth extends to everybody in all nations. Its length extends from eternity to eternity. Its height reaches the throne of God, and its depth is without measure. God gave Jesus some work to do. While on earth, he did some healing, and he fed the hungry, but he did that out of compassion. His real work was the cross, where he dealt with eternity. You know, when I think of people in my life who seem to have a real intimate walk with God, it seems to me that a common ingredient in their lives is that they simply cannot get over the fact of how much God loves them. You and I will never be able to fully comprehend God's love. It is only through the Father's power that we can even begin to scratch the surface. You know, I read a story of a little boy who had an accident and he was taken to the hospital. And after he was made comfortable, a nurse brought him a large full glass of milk. This little boy looked at that milk longingly, but he didn't pick it up. See, you see, he had come from a very poor family where milk was seldom seen, and if there was any milk, it was only a little bit in a cup and he had to share it with his brother. Finally, he looked up at the nurse and he said, how deep can I drink? The nurse smiled and said, drink it all, son. In fact, there's even more. You know, I wonder if as believers, we are sometimes just sipping off the surface of God's love, or have we immersed ourselves in it? I cannot begin to describe God's love to you other than to say that he gives it all, and even when he's given it all, there's more. I believe that if we as a church walked in a daily awareness of God's love, it would impact our community like nothing else. Not only that God did everything in love for us, but that he did it also for those people that mm, we don't get along with quite so well. Not only would we be filled with love for one another because of Christ's love for us, but we would be zealous in sharing that love with people surrounding us. In Christ, all spiritual needs can be met. But yet sometimes I wonder how vigorously I am doing and sharing that incredible truth.
Paul goes a step further in verse 19. He says, and to know this love which surpasses knowledge. Isn't it great that through Christ we can know something that is unknowable, even a little bit of it? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, Paul is not content for these people just to apprehend or to uh, understand a little bit about God's love. The word he knows, the word he uses here is a knowledge that is gained through personal experience. It's a much stronger word than simply to comprehend or grasp. It is an amazing request. Paul asks that the believers will know a love that surpasses knowing. It is in the growing awareness and experience of God's incredible love that we can be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. You know, the knowledge that Paul is praying for has a spiritual end. It's not just a mental acuteness. We are to know so that we can be. We are to have this knowledge, not just to know, but to actually live, to be. Being filled to the measure of all the fullness of God means that our inner person, that part that involves our will, our thoughts, our emotions, is totally possessed by God and he transforms us more and more into the likeness of Jesus. We have the gift of a loving, listening Father. We have the gift of strength through the Holy Spirit. We have the gift of the actual presence of Christ dwelling in our hearts. And fourthly, we have the gift of an answered prayer from the Father. Verse 20 and 21 are some of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I know I've spoken from the platform and use these verses often. Paul says, Now to him who is able to do immensely, immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul is aware that God is able. God changed him from a radical insider among the Jews, a Pharisee. He changed him to a missionary to the outsiders. You know, God is still able to do wonders greater than we can even ask or imagine. I love how Paul piles superlative upon superlative, saying God's power can do immeasurably more, more than we ask, even more than we can fathom. You know, some of you sitting here today, if your high school buddies could see you now, they'd be amazed at what God has done in your life. All of us know individuals who we think are just simply beyond God's reach, too far gone. But God and Paul, and I want to say to you this morning that God still is able. He is able, he is able to do the impossible. I believe God is able not only to answer our prayers, he is able to go far above and beyond all that we can wish for or even imagine. You know, I have a pretty active imagination. God's goes beyond mine. God is able. God is able to do. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask. He is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we ask or imagine.
1540, Martin Luther had a good friend and assistant by the name of Friedrich Myconius. And this friend of his became very sick and was expected to die in a short time. From his bed, he wrote a tender farewell letter to Luther. When Luther received the message, he immediately sent back a reply, and I quote, he wrote, I command thee in the name of God to live, because I still have need of thee in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that thou art dead, but will permit thee to survive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, and may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. End of quote. You know, these words may seem a little harsh or abrupt to us for our sensitive modern ears, but God honored these prayers. In fact, Iconius not only had, he had already lost the ability to speak, but he was healed, he soon recovered, and he lived six more years and died two months after Luther. Before we close this chapter once more, let me address the inc incredible potential of this church, Prairie Tab. As a body of believers, God wants to impact this world through his power that is at work within us. This world as we see it now is not as God created it to be. Again, today we see the world being torn apart by opposing worldviews, beliefs, and struggle. God's design is that all people and all nations should be brought together under Christ. But to achieve this end, we as the church need to go out and tell others about the Father's incredible love and mercy. Again, the church cannot do this unless it is members, if its members are joined together in fellowship, gain that word together, and are together and personally experiencing the limitless love of God. I wonder, what are you asking God for this morning? Do your requests indicate that you believe that God is able? If you and I within this church live out Paul's prayer, if we live it out, our lives and our community will be transformed. As we live with a renewed understanding of our Father's love, as he strengthens us inwardly, as we grow in love for him and others, and as we boldly gain a fresh comprehension of the extent of his love, we will act. The result will be a group of believers filled with the fullness of God. And whenever that happens, God receives the glory in his church. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.